Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining today, he's a former pro wrestler, gym owner, author, entrepreneur. It's Dustin Bogle. How are you doing today, Dustin? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to dive in. I definitely have a unique story, and I also think I got some unique tips to help the audience to achieve their goals. So let's do this, Alex. Thanks for having me, man. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. So uh, as we kind of mentioned the intro, me being into pro wrestling, I was definitely a big pro wrestling fan in the late 90s. Um, You know, that's kind of where the impressionable age, we could call it, uh, going to high school. uh, I lived in Southern California and uh, essentially what I also had that I walked around with was 60 pounds of extra body fat. And so I was a very overweight teenager. If anybody remembers jeans having this on them, uh, the husky size, that is what I wore, which is my opinion, the nice way of saying fat, but I wore husky jeans. And so pretty much hid from the world. Literally, I would like to walk around with a hoodie on. I did not want people to see me, but I'm a big guy, 6'2", I was 260 pounds. It's hard to hide a, a man that size, but I thought I could if I just wore big clothes and I wear a hoodie, I could hide from the world. And I had low confidence. I did not speak to myself nicely. I did not talk to ladies and I didn't do all the fun stuff people do in high school, like prom and sports and all that. And so it wasn't until a friend, which I didn't have a lot of, tapped me on the shoulder one day and said, hey, man, I'm going to go to the gym after school. Do you want to join me? And it didn't sound judgmental, just sounded like two guys hanging out. And I knew I wanted to do something about my body. I just didn't know what the heck to do. So I went with him and he showed me how to use the machines, how to train, how to lift weights. And after our first workout, I just felt so incredible. The blood flowing, the endorphins, all the good things that you hear exercise does for us. And over the course of six months, I transformed my body. I lost 60 pounds of body fat. And I committed to myself at that point that I want to help other people to feel this way because it's like I had a new lease on life. I said, holy cow, I've been alive, but I have not been alive. And when you get healthy and fit, those people know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like being in a whole iOS upgrade inside your body. So that's a little bit about my struggles and kind of what I think pivoted me to helping people in fitness for the rest of my life. With going through those challenges you faced at a young age, was wrestling something that you kind of escaped to where you see the, all the different kinds of people that are fans or even in the ring and You just didn't have to think about the things that you were going through. You enjoyed to watch it or just be surrounded by it. Yeah, 100%. When I when I got in the locker room, I think one of the most surprising things is that when I saw them in the ring, they're so confident, they're ripped, and they got these crazy outfits. You're like, that guy's got to have major confidence. And like most of the things that we are surprised to learn, you get to know real people and they have amazing insecurities. They have, you know, insurmountable trauma they've been through and somehow they do it. And so you quickly realize, oh, they are separating from their self. This is, you know, their identity. We all know on their license, their driver's license stays here in the locker room. They create a persona that, that goes out to the ring. And I think that that's helpful for people, whether it's business or you want to step into a healthy body or you want to have a better relationship. I think it's not weird. I don't think you're bipolar. I think you should create a label or an identity of who you want to become before you become it. And what's cool is it's almost like building a character in a video game. You have a completely blank canvas. You can decide what it's going to be like. So kind of going to your point, I was the sheepish, shy, you know, uh, guy, Dustin, that just didn't talk to people and was like hiding from the world. 
So when I built my wrestling character, his name was Diablo. So it's funny that we we got the fire theme here, um, which for those who don't know, Spanish for devil. So I had fire on my out my gear and I was going to come out to this heavy metal and I wanted to be this mean bad guy. I wanted to slap popcorn out of the audience's hands. And so that character allowed me to do what I would have never done in my personal life. But I was like, it's part of the show. People are okay with it. I get to be this persona when I go to the ring. And then when I come backstage, I get to go back to being Dustin. And that was a life lesson because there's many personas I stepped into, CEO, coach, father. I was never prepared or nobody trained me for it, but I had to become this new persona and I had to create this identity first. And then I started taking steps so that one day I was that person. So that was a a good lesson I learned from wrestling that I think anybody can take home. With being a fan, who were the characters or personas you liked or connected to watching? Yeah, I think uh, there's definitely my most popular wrestlers that people know, like the Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man and the Undertaker, these all household names. And it's funny because I even say like, hey, um, there's something that's unique about people like, you know, let let your freak flag fly. And so uh, a lot of times in wrestling, the characters remember the most had these really out of the box, unique characters, like Undertaker's like this dead guys putting people in coffins and, you know, Macho Man's coming out and doing elbow drops and these outlandish gears, and he's got this crazy voice. And so uh, the thing is, there's so many wrestlers that came and went, and they just had very bland, very forgettable characters mm-hmm. or names. And so what I really call out to people, no matter what you're trying to do, let your freak flag fly. Let people see who you are, what what makes you weird, what makes you unique, what makes you interesting, and shout that out from the rooftops because you know, especially me and my gym, you know, like there's a lot of gyms where we are in SoCal, we got to be unique. So people want to come and train with us. And even when I was building my character, I said, I got to do unique. I can't be what all the other guys are doing. And so those are my favorite characters, the ones that were very unique, very memorable, had the craziest outfits, the biggest entrances. But those are a few to name uh, off the top of my head. It's crazy how the at sports entertainment aspect with creating that persona kind of deals with what you do today, where when you're at a job, you don't want to just lay in the back, really showcase what you can offer, showcase your skills, let the manager see, okay, they can come to you because they will remember you when a future promotion's coming or a project's coming. And it kind of goes with that show is like when you, the show ends, what do you remember? You remember those people that really entertained you. It definitely carries over and maybe people that don't see that they can see that even like when you're watching your favorite movie or favorite tv show and you talk about that character after it ends that's what's memorable that's what people want to see yep 100 and whether it's movies tv shows uh or the people you met in your life there was definitely that something that stood out about them so a lot of people are like i don't want to be i don't want to unleash what is inside of me because i'm going to rub people the wrong way And, you know, here's something I've learned, even as I've taught my team about courage, because there's a lot of things in business we got to do that require courage, where we have to raise the prices because California has raised, you know, expenses on us. Um, We have to change our session times because these sessions are lightly attended. So we got to remove them. All these, you know, terrible things we got to tell our clients that, you know, about changes in the business. And so they're like, man, this is going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be people that are mad. And I'm like, yeah, there's... 
every big moment in your life requires courage. And what usually stops us from stepping into that is one of three L's. You're afraid they're not going to like you, love you, or they're going to leave you. And so essentially any uncomfortable moment, there's some sort of subconscious wiring that's telling you one of those or multiple of those three things are going to happen. And so we don't let our freak flag fly because we're thinking to ourselves, people aren't going to like me. They're going to call me a weirdo. They're going to label me or the people who love me will outcast me or push me away and they won't share that love with me anymore if I really show them who I am. And then the final one is they're going to leave me. If I do this change in my business, the clients will cancel. This person's going to leave me I'm in a relationship with. So if the thing that you need to courageously step into is bigger than someone liking you, loving you, or leaving you, then I would encourage you to step into that and to go forward because it is worth it on the other side. Every single time I was afraid out of my mind, I went forward and I was so glad I did. As you're growing up, what was that dream job that you were wanting? As funny as it sounds, because I'm so active and I got all these like very active businesses, I wanted to be a video game designer because I sat okay. on my couch and I watched wrestling and I played video games and I just ate fast food. And so when everyone's pressuring in high school, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I just said, man, I love playing video games. It'd be cool to make them and to help contribute to the storylines or the design. And I was looking up schools, but I just never went forward with it. I ended up getting uh, into the workforce. And so uh, essentially that's, that was, that was that weird, you know, path that I almost went down. <laughs> was college never like on your radar to proceed or did you prefer going straight into the workforce? Yeah. I mean, I, I went for a couple years, but the, every moment I was there, I was just literally like vibrating in pain. I was just like, I can't take it. Like I already did how many years, you know, after high school, you know, whatever it is, 12, 14 years you do. And I was just like, I just, I'm not built for this. I need to go out and I need to start, you know, contributing. And it's not that, you know, my mom was expecting me to work or that I needed the money. It was just like, I, I just had it. I was done with sitting in classrooms and learning. I needed to go out and start exploring what I want to do. And I actually encourage people that if they don't know what they want to do, the best thing to do is like speed date jobs, like take a job. And if you hate it, quit as quick as you can and go to another one and go to another one. And the, when you don't know what you want to do, just start knocking out what you don't want to do. And you'll slowly mm -hmm. make your way towards the thing you want to do. So, you know, I did fast food. I did construction. Um, I wrote articles. I did a bunch of little things that I ended up saying to myself, don't, no, 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 don't want to do that. And then I eventually found the thing I did. So, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much the path I went through. So you talked about speed dating. What was the biggest thing it taught you about yourself going through those different jobs and learning about yourself through each one of them? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, um, say yes to the pay or sorry opposite of that don't say yes to the paycheck say yes to the passion and yeah. so a lot of times i encounter people who want to do something only because they hear it pays good and in the fitness world for example i'll go to colleges we run an internship program where we teach people uh, students how to be trainers and potentially to get into the fitness industry if that's you know a path they're interested in but every time i go to the college and before i speak i say hey who here is deciding to take their kinesiology degree or exercise science and wants to become a physical therapist? And 90% of the room raises their hands. And I'll say, be honest, how many of you picked that? Because when you looked at the jobs you can get, that was at the top 
in terms of income you can make because it's like ninety thousand dollars a year plus and so everyone's hands stay up so i guess guilty as charged you know i want to make the most with my degree and i said has anybody gone to a physical therapy clinic have anybody spent time there do you know what they do day to day and then like everyone's kind of like quiet and they're like you know you know you know and so i'm like so we're saying yes to a paycheck and we don't even know what we're getting ourselves into and you want to sign up to do this the rest of your life so i was like if I could give you some wisdom right now, go do an internship at a physical therapy clinic. I can tell you half of the people who go in there, that's the wake up call that this is not the right thing for me. Cause it is slow. You're literally like reteaching people how to walk, how to reuse their hands after a bad injury. It is slow, minuscule improvements over time. And if you're like me, you're like, I need to go, go, go. I like to stay busy. That is literally like torture. And so I said, please don't say yes to the paycheck, say yes to the passion, find something you love. So then I invite them. Maybe you love fitness. Who who here likes to work out? And then all these kids raise their hand like I'm in sports. I'm like, I would encourage you again, not selfishly to get you to recruit you to my business, but take our internship, do an internship at a physical therapy, go other places. And so that's what I learned is that man, you you can't give me, they call them the golden handcuffs to stay at any company, no matter how much they pay me. I've been offered six-figure paying jobs, but it just sounded miserable because your happiness is the real currency in addition to your time. And that's the magic formula. If you can spend as much time on this earth and be happy the most amount of that time, you have hit the jackpot, my friend. So don't sell your soul for the money and thinking that's going to bring you the happiness because it probably won't. Um, so that's something I learned, uh, Alex. I love that you are honest with those students because I think that's so true. Like I'm the same way where as long as I'm passionate about it, the paycheck is just a reward for it because I'm excited to get up every day, go to work, go do my job. And the paycheck is just a bonus because it's matching my passion that I have. And, you know, it's so hard Mm -hmm. because nowadays people with how things are increasing in prices and stuff, people are looking for that. How do I make more money? How do I do this? But they're willing to sacrifice their happiness just for that paycheck. And you are going out there and starting them early, making them think that so that they make the best decision for themselves. 100%. Yep. So when did you start realizing that you wanted to become a wrestler? Because the training is the first part before you actually get into it. And it's not an easy process. Yeah. So it's funny, the same friend that tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you want to go to the gym is the same friend that said, hey, so do you want to come hang out at my house? I have a wrestling ring in my backyard. And so if anybody here is a wrestling fan, those two gentlemen, the Young Bucks from AEW, Matt Jackson is the one that invited me to the gym and then invited me to go to his house and do backyard wrestling. My brother is their manager, Brandon Cutler. He wears the face mask. He escorts them to the ring. So they're kind of a big deal. Are you a, are you a wrestling fan, Alex? I was once you said Brandon Cutler, I'm like I can see it now. I can totally yeah. see you being related. <laughs> yep. So uh, if you want to have some fun, go on YouTube, go on Google, search the Cutler Brothers versus the Young Bucks. You can see us have multiple matches, and they were the ones that I went into their backyard and we just copied what we saw on Monday Night Raw, WCW Nitro, and we just had a ball just goofing off in the ring. But yeah, one day we got called out and we're like, Hey, you'll never get booked on real shows till you go get training. So me and Matt being the older brothers, we went, we paid the dues. We got our butts handed to us. We got on chop lines. You got to 
put your arms around the top ropes and let the whole class come around and open hand chop you. We had like hamburger helper chest. It was just destroyed. And um, essentially we, we just came home and we gave our brothers and our friends the same lessons without all the pain. So we paid the <laughs> price for them. Again, that's okay. We were, we were happy to do it because we were so in love with the sport. And then when that got completed after a couple of years, you know, they, in, in, in California where it's very Lucha, uh, um, kind of in, inspired and, and, you know, kind of leaning the way that you pay your dues there is you put a mask on. It protects your face because no one's going to see when you mess up who this wrestler is. It kind of lets you goof up and not be, you know, kind of called out by the audience. So we put on masks and we did a whole bunch of Lucha shows and got to practice our skill. And then it's kind of this big ceremony when you finally get to reveal your character to the audience, remove the mask, no longer be this green guy. And so that's what we, you know, eventually stepped into. So at first, all of us were singles wrestlers because that's what you see glorified on TV is that, you know, every all the big time guys, The Rock, you know, Mankind, they're all singles wrestlers. So we're just like, okay, we all got to be singles wrestlers. Then again, mentors came into our life and they're like, you guys are really good when you all fight each other. And especially when you brothers pair up and you brothers pair up, you guys should become tag teams, be like the Hardy Boys, be like the Dudleys. So we took their, um, you know, advice and it was some of the best advice because we started getting more bookings. We started being unique in a, in a sea of singles wrestlers. There wasn't many tag wrestlers. So a lot of people hired us and they're like, you know, you guys are both good. Just you guys fight each other. And so we just started doing tours everywhere. Cutlers versus Young Bucks all around Southern California. And so uh, eventually they got, you know, discovered by Dragon Gate and go to Japan. They did tours in Mexico. I did a tour in Mexico. We all went to Canada. So we just started spreading out. And what for me, Alex, was like the the end of the road was I actually told myself at age 28 is the deadline. If I don't have a big contract it is a young man's sport. Um, you know, if you don't get somewhere really big by 28 to 30 years old, you, you know, you probably have missed your your mark. So age 28 came. I was also kind of just beat up physically. I also didn't vibe so well with the um, lifestyle. I'm a morning person. And it's like you're up till 2 or 3 a.m. Like I could fall dead asleep in the middle of the locker room and music is going for entrances and guys are talking and I'm just not a night person. So I just realized I'm not built for this lifestyle uh, I can't live this rock star type of, you know, approach. Um, I'm a morning person. I need to get into fitness. I need to just train people and, and figure out how to make my, my, my money that way. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of the, the end of the road for me. And I went all in on fitness, but I did end up paying off and opening six gyms in six years, ended up writing a book about how to grow your business and, uh, now have an online sales company where we sell for over a hundred gyms across the U S and bring their leads into their doors on a trial program. So that's kind of where I'm making my mark is in the fitness industry. Do you feel since then that your body has healed properly from the times being in the ring where you are today, or is it, do you still have that itch to be like, okay, I did it before, but I can push myself even farther. I actually feel like I'm in better shape now than when I was wrestling because I know a lot more about the body and how to like heal injuries and, and nutrition. Um, so I actually like always had this itch to get back in and to see what I can do, um, you know, at, in a more healthy state. But again, I think that ship sail has probably been 10 years since I've been in a wrestling ring. There's a local show where I signed up my son for a kid's wrestling camp. He had a ball doing that. So I kind of got in there and goofed around with him a little, but um yeah i think that again it's one of those things that it's like riding a bike once you've done it it kind of stays <laughs> yeah. in you um 
you, you, you never forget how to bump and hit the ropes and throw a drop kick. And I'll mess with my son and bounce houses and pools. And like, I still see that I got the moves down, but, uh, do, am I going to be able to pay my bills doing it anymore? Probably not. Um, so it's just more recreation at this point. Do you feel that you live kind of in the limelight with your brother being on a main stage, kind of like enjoy seeing that a family member is out there doing something that you guys all love doing, but reaching to that main stage level? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I I still very much talk pretty often to the Young Bucks. They they were, to me, like extended brothers. We, I mean, I slept at their house countless times and just staying up watching wrestling playing at wrestling figures, going in the ring at night. Like we had very much a deep bond. And so I definitely stay in contact with them. I am over the moon happy for all of them. I never saw AEW coming, um, you know, uh, around. And so um, I thought it was WWE a bust. And uh, who knows if AEW was around when I was still wrestling, maybe I would have stuck with it because I would have saw there's another path. But when I was around, it was you go to WWE or you're just kind of doomed to go to overseas tours the rest of your career. And that's the only way you can make good money. And then the WWE path was you're going to have to do steroids. All the guys do cocaine. They all sleep around, cheat on their wife. And again, from a core value standpoint, I was just feeling more and more repelled. I'm like, I don't like staying up late. I'm going to have to do these drugs. These guys are like pirates. They sleep around. And I'm just like, why, why, like, I love when I'm in the ring. Why does it have to have all this drama attached with it? Like, if all this didn't exist, I would love it. But man, all this backstage stuff, you got to kind of kiss the promoter's butt. There's politics. And I was just like, I just like being in the ring performing for the audience. Like, I wish that, you know, again, all this extra stuff didn't come with it. But, um, I'm pulling up just for the audience to see. Um, that is me as Diablo. And then that's the young bucks. That's another friend of ours, Sonny Sampson. Um, and then that is my brother going out there with them with the with the mask. So it's all here in the book. I wrote some good wrestling stories. So encourage the audience to pick up a copy. Um, whether you want to hear some cool stories about wrestling or business sales, like it's kind of got something for everybody. What's been the reaction of people reading your book? What have they learned more about you that maybe they didn't know or something that they were able to take and incorporate into their lives? Yeah, that great question. So uh, I think for people who didn't know I had my background in wrestling, they're surprised to learn about the secret life. They're like, what? I've always known Dustin, the personal trainer or the gym owner, like he did wrestling, what? But then they're like, oh, it totally makes sense because he got a championship belt and he would hold it up with his clients when they lost 20 pounds and take a photo with them. And he had these crazy outfits and they're like, now I can totally see the wrestling <laughs> you know, influence. And so that was kind of a cool, you know, uh, reveal to a lot of people because, you know, when I'm just servicing them, I'm not there talking about myself. I'm there talking about them. What are your goals? What's your diet like? How can I help you? And so that was one thing that they were surprised about. I think for a lot of my business friends, I don't think they were expecting there to be so much leadership talk. And there's three main sections. There's how to build your lead machine so that you get nonstop leads. There's sales multipliers. So anybody that's in sales, I show multiple strategies on how you can get more sales. And then the third is how to build your dream team through leadership. And so one of the things that I point out is that, yes, when we hear leadership, we think about leading other people, this big, you know, brave person standing up doing a big speech. But that is one way to lead. That is not all the ways. There's multiple ways to lead. And so what I kind of mentioned in the book is that you kind of got to go through a process first. First, you got to lead yourself. 
Mm-hmm. You got to get own person, your own self dialed in. People don't want to follow someone that they don't perceive to have their act together. And so it's that like, don't tell me what to do. Show me what you do. I'm going to follow your actions, not your words. And so if you're working out and, you know, living a healthy lifestyle, how much easier is it to coach somebody? Or if you are a couch potato and you don't do any exercise, you don't eat healthy, and then you tell everybody what to do, they're going to feel like you're just like speaking from theory, not from memory, right? Mm -hmm. People who are good leaders are speaking from memory. So it's lead yourself, then you can lead others. And the final component is lead always, which means to the day you die, uh, you have to lead people. And it's not that, again, um, people are just like rudderless boats that are lost and we need, you know, these leaders to step up and save them. But in certain areas of life, I believe every person is a leader. One person might be a leader on how to set up podcast equipment and another person isn't. So guess what? You're an expert to them. You're a leader. Lead the way for them. Show them how to do this, right? Maybe another person's great at sales. And so there's new persons breaking into the industry. Guess what? Mentor them, lead them, help them out, right? And so a lot of times we want to figure things out on our own, but that's our ego holding us back. If you can just break your ego down and have the humility to ask for help and then find that person that is excited to lead and mentor, then you have a winning formula. And so that's what I think people are surprised to learn in the book is that although it's called reinforce your gym, there's a lot of leadership talk in it as well. And we kind of talked about this earlier where different industries, different backgrounds, different experience, they all cross with each other. You can take the same concepts and utilize it in different areas. We talked about earlier where your path and where you went as a career was different than where you are today. For someone that's listening and they are going through that challenge where what they're doing back then is not what they're doing today. How do they learn from what they're doing today to become that expert or be knowledgeable to the best of their abilities like you have done? Yeah, I think the first thing I want to give everybody permission is to understand that you are an expert if you only know 10% more than the person you're leading. That's it. People think you need the million dollar business. They think you need to have done it for many, many years. But that is absolutely not it. So like example, I know nothing about cars. If you, somebody listening to this, literally knows how to change oil, you're an expert to me. You have the right to charge me. I will happily pay you because I have no idea the first step. And you might know the 10 steps in your head. Oh, it's so easy. You do this, you do this, you do that. But you see how easy it comes to you? It's because you're an expert. And sometimes we don't think of expertise as little things. But I'm telling you, every little thing you know how to do that another person doesn't puts you in the expert seat. And yes, if you can accumulate expertise in one area and have a whole host of expertise, then you really have something that's amazing. And maybe you can even start a business, right? And so at first, I only knew how to coach and I, I lost 60 pounds, so I was an expert, and I knew how to guide someone and how to work out and how to eat. And that was the only expertise I need. Then I need to learn how to sell because I had all these new bills that came with opening a brick and mortar, and I had to dive into sales books and watch sales videos, and I had to learn, and I got better at it because I did thousands of repetitions. Then I was like, okay, it, leads are slow. I need to learn this marketing thing. I need to get a nice flow of leads coming so I can then sell them and then I could coach them. So then I had to learn the marketing game. And so I'm just accumulating skills, expertise in the business realm. Then I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I need to hire somebody. Now I got to learn to be a recruiter. Where do you put a job posting? How do you interview, right? What questions are you supposed to ask? How much should you pay? What's fair? What's not fair? What benefits should I offer? And then I'm like, okay, uh, this person and I were kind of wired differently. I need to learn leadership because we're all having different 
personality types. I need to learn how to talk to the driven people and then talk to the more reserved analytical people. And I had to step into leadership. And so I just kept going and adding more and more skills to my toolkit of a businessman or a CEO. And it's only through 13 years of running gyms and 20 years being a coach that I've accumulated this huge toolbox. But hey, even if you're getting started and you know one thing, that is enough for you to be able to charge somebody. Um, so again, that's the permission I would say is that hey, if you know 10% more, you are an expert, own it, charge it, use it as a service, use it as a product and turn it into a side hustle or even a business. With the gyms that you own, is there something that you, kind of a fun question, is there something that you want to incorporate or add to it or be involved in with that kind of type of business? Yeah, one thing that we've done that I'm really proud of is that we actually created free memberships for local teenagers. So we called it the Just Move program because a lot of teenagers are just not moving. They're just sitting down and playing video games and they're on their phone and they're just packing on weight. And it's really scary, Alex, because uh, the CDC announced last year that the trend that we're moving through by the year 2030, half of the U.S. population will be obese, one out of two. And that is a scary trend because obesity means early deaths. And I've actually, I've, I've had that in my family too. My mom's sisters died under the age of 50, uh, both from health related diseases, one stroke, one cancer. And so I just see that as like, man, how many other families are going to go through young deaths because of health related uh, lifestyle choices. So the first thing we want to do is we want to go to the root of the problem, which is the habits that young kids build. And that starts in your teenage years when you're very informative. And so if people start going through fast food and like living, you know, out of boxed foods and, and just not cooking anything at teenage years, guess what they're going to do to adulthood. So we got to get ahead of that. And that's why we did the just move program. So teenagers can train at our gyms in Southern California called lead the way fitness for free. And so, uh, you know, just reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. We'll get your teenagers set up and, you know, they just have to live within a 10 mile radius. You know, we don't think someone's going to drive 20, 30 miles to get a workout in. So um, it has to be, you know, nearby. And then, um, you know, other things that I've been really proud of is uh, allowing my team to create their own side hustles under the company umbrella. So one coach sells uh, meal prep to the clients and she gets a cut of that. And then another coach does yoga on the weekends and gets to keep, you know, the proceeds that they make for that. And so just like one of the most rewarding things I didn't know would be rewarding until I got into business is giving people jobs. I, I just started it to just help people get healthy and fit. And it was that first hire that said, man, this is really cool that I get paid to do what I love and I can pay my bills through doing something I loved. And I was like, oh man, that's awesome. I didn't even think of that. Right. And so that is something that I, I'm really proud of with what we can do in our business. With the pandemic being a huge changing point for especially gyms, how did that play an effect for you? Oh man. I mean, it was miserable. I think every gym owner I talked to, it's like thinking back to a war or something. Yeah. Our revenue was down over 60%. Um, within 30 days, we just watched our numbers plummet and it just, it was fear at the end of the day, you know, like the clients were in fear of what's going to happen. The news is pumping out fear, which wasn't helpful. That stay away from gyms. They're super spreaders. And it, it really was a terrible time to be a gym owner. But at the same time, I'm mentally, I, I'm an optimist as probably the audience could tell, 
I never felt that way. It, it wasn't until it was almost after where everyone told me I should feel that way. I was like, we were getting together. We were having a blast. Like I got my team together daily, Monday through Friday. I said, you guys can't stay at home. It's not good for you. Uh, you're going to be isolated. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be filled with the news. We're getting together at the gym. There's only 12 of us. It's a 3,000 square foot facility. We're not being, you know, unsafe. Let's just all keep meeting together and getting together. And it's good for morale. And we would do Zoom workouts and we would talk about what could we do for our clients. If we can't give them workouts, could we go run and get them toilet paper? Because we all know that was scarce during COVID. Could we just run to the store and get it for them and deliver it to their doorstep? Like, how could we still serve? and not be thinking just workouts, nutrition, workouts, nutrition. So that was the mindset we had. And really at the end of the day, we did a lot of just random calls to our clients that just didn't have a specific purpose other than to cheer them up and to give them a, a check-in and to say, how are you doing? Because we're just seeing all this terrible stuff going on of people being isolated and feeling alone. We just didn't want them to feel that way. So we just put on our serve hat and really tried to think about the others. And then we just got together and man, we were just joking and goofing around. Like it did not feel like we, we, we loved it. We felt like it was an extended vacation. We got to turn off sessions. No one had to wake up early and run five thirties. No one had to be there till eight o'clock at night. We got to the gym from like nine to three. And then we went home. It was like, it was a walk in the park for us. So, um, you know, again, business wise, it was not fun, but mentally and team morale, I don't think anybody on the team felt that, that, you know, that, that negativity at all. Throughout your journey that you've been on with someone that's listening to this interview, what is one word you would describe your rise to the challenge that you have been on? There's been multiple, that's for sure. But I would say the biggest one, as we alluded to earlier, is learning how to be a better leader because it just spreads to all areas of my life, whether it's being a father, a husband, um, a friend. Uh, a teammate, um, a CEO, all of them branch from leadership. And so when I think about like rising to the challenge, it's a matter of me showing up as the best version of myself because there's a lot of people that depend on me. And so I have to take care of my body, my health. I have to lead myself in that way. I have to lead myself mentally with learning and I have to lead my, my mindset and and kind of be the visionary that everybody needs me to be and so essentially when it comes to you know rising to the challenge it's that life's hard no matter what you choose and so you get to choose your hard because living a healthy lifestyle is hard it sucks you got to say no to a lot of junk you want to eat but also being overweight is hard so you get to choose your heart in life being broke is hard right having these financial constraints and then having money and and being a good steward of it and not blowing it. Like we've seen so many people win the lottery and they blow through it in three years and it's back down to nothing. So being financially disciplined is hard. And so everything in life, there's those two dichotomies. You you can go the one way or the other. You get to choose your heart is what I, I always point out. So rise to that challenge, choose the right one, choose the one that's going to serve you, choose the one that's going to make a legacy for you and your family and rise to that challenge and make your life better. Something our listeners like to do is learn even more about our guests. Since we've been on your journey, let's talk about you personally. What has fatherhood been for you as an individual? Uh, The biggest blessing of my life. I know you hear all these hokey stories of people saying when their kids came into the world, this happened and that happened. (laughs) I don't consider myself to be overly emotional, 
but the way your body just like responds almost, you know, uncontrollable. So the, the, the day my son was born, I just literally broke into tears and I don't do that. And then the day my, my daughter was born, I literally had wobbly legs and the nurses had to like sit me down and push my head between my knees. Cause I just got dizzy. It was the weird, it's just like weird, crazy stuff happens to you. And, you know, I'm just talking to you like I am now. And then that happens. And then boom, this, you know, uncontrollable reaction happened. So that's, you know, the thing I always remember about, but what I would really say to unlock to me is like a six gear. I didn't know I had, um, I was, I'm always a hard charger. I'm a driver. I, I'm a high achiever. And I always feel like I was in that fifth gear, but then I'm like, man, I had kids and I found a sixth gear because now these little lives depend on me and they're watching me. And it's true. When you hear parents say, doesn't matter what you say, it's wonders what you do. They literally duplicate your mannerisms and the way you talk and the language you use and the way you respond to things. And they pay attention to the details. So it's almost like having an MTV camera crew in your house always. <laughs> and, and, you know, you don't need reality TV, just have kids and just watch how they respond. Cause it is a mirror of you. And so if you don't see what you like, it's a reminder that you need to change the way you're acting. So that that's what fatherhood's been to me is like the ultimate challenge. I often Alex have, days that I joke, well, what's harder business or parenthood business or parents like all this crap in the business. Oh my God. You know, it's a blessing, but man, there's so many challenges. And then like kids, I love them, but I want to wrangle their neck. And like, <laughs> it's which one's harder. Literally you can, every day you ask me, I'll have a different answer for you. I often can't figure out which one it is. So um, to any business owner or any parent out there, hats off to you. Cause I know how difficult it is. It is very, very challenging. When you're not working, when you're not being a father, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, man, I'm pretty simple. Uh, it's going to sound so cheesy, but I actually really still enjoy working out. It is like solitude. Um, it's like moving meditation to me. Um, I've tried the whole meditation thing. It doesn't like I'm just too busy minded. I'm too busy body. Uh, exercise actually calms me down. I, I have to physically express myself and get my emotions out and just like tire myself out i guess i'm kind of like a dog right you take a dog <laughs> for a walk and it's calm you don't let it it starts chewing up your socks and your pillows it's restless so once i get that restlessness out i just feel calm and cool and then i have a whiteboard because i get so many ideas when i'm working out and notice anybody listen to this most of your ideas come when there's some sort of movement it's not usually when you're being still it's usually when you're out for a walk you're out for a drive you're in the shower and there's just like hot you know, water coming down on you. And then, you know, you're working out and they're like, there's something's moving and it helps, you know, really get your mind going. So I always tell people, if you're ever in a funk, if you ever feel down, if you're ever feeling bad, you have to change your physiology. It's probably because you're sitting down. It's probably because you've been staring at a screen too long. It's probably because you've been too still. You got to get moving. And immediately you just, you get out and there's some greenery, there's some fresh air, there's some sunshine, there's some blood pumping and immediately your state changes. So, um, to me, that that's really been, you know, helpful uh, to just make sure that I work out. That's something I enjoy. Nature. I definitely got to plan at least a few trips where we're getting out of city life and into nature. And, I, you know, I really enjoy traveling. And then, of course, sitting down and watching my boys, uh, you know, throw down in the ring and, <laughs> uh, and watch wrestling. So, yeah, that's that's some things I like doing. Do you have a fun fitness goal that you set for yourself or a competition or something that you're trying to drive towards something fun that you want to do? 
Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, pretty much. I, I, people ask like, how do you keep people motivated? Like, the, it gets so repetitious, so boring, so monotonous. How do you keep wanting to go to the gym? And I say, anybody that's lost their motivation simply does not have an active goal. Mm-hmm. And when we first join it, there's usually something that's motivating us. I have this trip to Cancun. My 40th birthday is coming up. There's a big anniversary. I got this big vacation. Something's driving me to want to train hard. I'm preparing for the mud run. And then that date comes and goes. And then the person doesn't set another goal. And then that's where the monotony settles. And they're like, oh, man, just another day doing squats, doing push-ups. So I will say it never ends. You got to keep moving your goalpost. You hit the goal. And the next day, you need to know what your next goal is. Because otherwise, you will make excuses of why you don't want to go. And they're like, oh, that's so hard. But I'm like, that goes for anything. What about like money? Like you have a money savings goal or something you want to buy. And then you probably have another thing. And then you have another thing. So it's very easy to do that with money. But then with fitness, you, you know, people kind of drop off and it's like, so to your point right now, it's summer, I'm doing the generic uh, goal that most people are probably doing and that's shredding out. I want to get lean. We just build a pool. I want to look good for the photos. So I'm in a straight up cut uh, strictly for, you know, aesthetic reasons about how I look in photos. So that that's pretty much it. But um, that's okay. Sometimes it is all right for it to be vain. Uh, it doesn't have to always be for performance. I can definitely admit that when you talked about where a person with fitness has that one goal and then they don't want to know what's next, I had that. I did a Tough mutter a month ago or at the time of this interview, a month ago. And four months I'm training for it and then I do it and I'm like, okay, what's next? Like, what what do I have to look forward to? And then I've already set my mind to, okay, I want to get to the next year get ready for that. Or I want to do another obstacle course sooner. And I'm thinking that has helped me become more positive and more motivated because I have a reasoning to do it. Yes, I can say like, I'm like you, I want to look good in photos, but I want to have that fun goal. So I know it's rewarding when I get to there, but got to keep having those goals like money. You said you always have that next thing you're wanting to buy. But I love how you mentioned that because it's something that I can relate to where I'm guilty of it. But now I've told myself, keep finding those things or find your reason why. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Without that, it's like not having a North Star and you, you do lose steam. And I do think you should rotate, uh, you know, around three main goals people tend to have. There's the aesthetic, the vanity. That's okay. Performance, a run. I want to do amount of push-ups. I want to do amount of pull-ups. Um, I want, I want to do, you know, triathlon, something performance-based. The third is health. Sometimes it's good to go get your blood work checked and you're like, Oh crap, I'm high in this. I need to work on getting it down. You know, is it my blood sugar? Is my cholesterol? And so sometimes it's for health reasons, longevity. You're like, I want to optimize my health. I want to live as long as possible. Here's what I point people to is like, Hey, it's kind of what I call the triangle of health. You can do aesthetics, performance or health but you can't do, or sorry, triangle of goals. You can't have all three at once because mm-hmm. people want to be super ripped and they want to lift the most amount of weight and they want to live to a hundred. And I'm like, one of those goals takes from the other two because when you are performing, you're probably not worried about how you look and you're probably going to beat yourself up pretty bad. And it's not good for your health, but you're going to win the race and you're going to perform at a high level. And when you're going for aesthetics, you're kind of, you know, depleting yourself, you know, you're, you're, you're hungry, you're, you're starving yourself a little. And so you're not good for your health and you're probably gonna be tired a week. You're not going to perform at the highest level in the gym. And then when you're optimizing for health, 
it's not the right moves to help you lift the most in the weight or run the fastest. And sometimes you just might not be shredded. You're going to have a little bit of the body likes to have a little bit of body fat for safety reasons. It's insulation. If you get caught in the cold, if you have no food, it can tap into body fat. It's kind of a little of a backup storage system. It likes having a good five or 10 pounds of body fat. And so you're not going to have shredded abs, but you're going to live a long time. So it's one of those, and you don't have to go to the extremes of the triangle. Some people like to be in the middle or like kind of towards one, but I point that out to people that I, as your coach, I can't give you all three. I can only give you one. So we got to pick one and we got to go all in. That's helpful for help for people when they got to set that goal. (laughs) The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Yes. Great question. I think number one is you got to get your mind right. Um, a lot of times the reason people won't rise to the challenge is because they mentally give up before their body does. And so essentially you got to get your mind right, which means you should train it and do tough things every day. That's why I love working out. That's why I love getting my focus, which can kind of be squirrely to have to read a book. Most people think the purpose of the book is to extract the knowledge out of the book. That is one thing, but it's also a great training on focus and attention because your mind's like, no, you should go do this. You got to really get to that. No, no, no. Get back to the book. Uh, I got this to do this. No, no, no. And it's good training for your mind to get back to, you know, the thing you're focusing on. So do tough things, sign up for tough things, challenge yourself. And that's when you feel the most alive and it's going to help you get your mind right. Second is you need to do what I call 360 leadership. So you should have a mentor that's pulling you up. That's how you can rise to the challenge. It's so much easier to follow the breadcrumbs of success, to have somebody else that says, I've been there. I've gotten healthy and fit. This is how you do it. I've built a million dollar business. This is how you do it. Way easier. So reach up to that mentor that you want to follow. Then reach to the side, to your peers, who's in your same industry and just collaborate and talk and share notes and, you know, kind of see what's going on in each other's world. And, and maybe you share a tip and they share a tip and you help each other out. Right. And then the third is reach below. Somebody's way behind you. They're not a peer. They're nowhere near the same level as you, but they're also not that mentor that's gone way further than you. They're you when you first started and pull that person up and be that mentor to them. They're reaching up, but you're reaching down. And I think that's one of the best ways you can rise to the challenge because that's the fulfillment piece is after you've gotten your mind right, you got your body right. There's that fulfillment, that legacy. We want to just help more people when we leave this earth. And I think if you're reaching all three of those, that is the ultimate way to feel fulfilled in sharing your knowledge and, your, as we said earlier, expertise with the world. Well, Dustin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been awesome. And uh, again, I hope that everybody got value from this. If you did, share it on social media, tag me and Alex so that we know you enjoyed it. Tune in next time here. My next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to get the full length episode in video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.